These, my friends, were amazing days for the church of Jesus Christ. Now you didn't just have a little morning star up there in the sky. You've got light beginning to shine, light beginning to beam around Europe. And people are reading the Bible and buying the Bible and studying the Bible and writing about the Bible and hearing the Bible preached because it's now in their tongue. Tyndale did this for us. Welcome to Grounded. I'm Steve Hartland, pastor at Cornerstone Community Church here in Joppa, Maryland. And today's podcast is about dead guys who gave us our Bibles, our English Bibles. You say, well, I'm not aware of any dead guy giving me my Bible. Okay, that's not what I meant. You'll find out what I meant soon. So let me start here. Do you have a Bible in your language, in English? Many of you listening probably have two, three, five, ten Bibles in different translations, different versions, and whatnot. Not different translations, different versions. How come you have a Bible or multiple Bibles in English? Where did that come from? Did all English-speaking, reading people always have a Bible in English? That's what this podcast is about. And the reason it's about that is because I just want to instill in you a greater love for your Bible If we can end this podcast episode and you are hugging your Bible, I'd be very happy with that. If you are loving the Word and wanting to dig into the Word, I would love that. If you are expressing what's in Psalm 119, verse 97, oh, how I love thy law, I would like that. If you are responding to what's in Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. Again, Psalm 19, 7 and 8. If this episode would lead you to a place where you're extolling like that about your copy of the Word, I'd be very happy. So we're doing dead guys who gave us our Bibles, our English Bibles, two guys two dead guys. Let's set the stage for them. So let's ask this question. What were things like before these two guys who are now dead gave us our English Bibles? What was the state of affairs? Uh, Who had what kind of Bible? Didn't English-speaking people always have a Bible in English? And the answer is no. And here's what it was like before these two now dead guys gave us English Bibles. There were no English Bibles In other words, it was dark. It was just dark. The light of God was not shining in your language if you were an English-speaking person. In other words, nobody had a Bible because there wasn't one. The Bible had never before been put into English, your language. Nobody went to a Bible study where somebody had a Bible, so they couldn't do a Bible study. Nobody went to a church where there was an English Bible and heard preaching in English. Nobody in your world, nobody on your street, nobody in your neighborhood, nobody in your club, nobody, nobody at work, nobody had an English Bible. Imagine if that was us right now, we're all English-speaking people, nobody has an English Bible. That's how it was. And there were reasons for that. Let me give you three of them. Here's three reasons why nobody had an English Bible for a long, long time. Well, reason number one, 
nobody could read anyway. Well, most people couldn't. You and I wouldn't have been able to because we weren't scholars, most of us. This was a problem in the church going all the way back to the first century where almost nobody could read because they didn't need to. Unlike our day, it's hard to imagine. There was nothing in their daily life that required them to be able to read. It's kind of like, can you do coding, you know, like computer coding? I sure can't. Why not? There's nothing in my life that requires me to need to know how to do coding. That's how it was for them with reading. So almost nobody knew how to read. Well, when you get to England in the 1300s, 5% of the population were literate. By the 1440s in England, that's when Gutenberg's printing press was produced, that number, the number of literate people in England had risen to only 11%. By the 1600s, which were a heyday for Puritanism in England, revival and reformation of the church, the literacy rate was at 30% for males, a whole lot less for females. So basically, English people couldn't read. So maybe they didn't really need a Bible so much. Furthermore, here's a second reason why there weren't English Bibles then. Even if you were one of the few privileged people, educated people, scholars who could read, you couldn't afford a Bible. What did it take for a guy to handwrite a copy of the Bible for you in those days? And they had to handwrite it. So here's a professional scribe. It's his job. You pay him. What did you have to pay him to write you a copy of the Bible? Well, it would be about two years of his full-time work. So let's put it in today's dollar. Let's pick a salary that isn't making anybody filthy rich. And let's say he's getting paid $50,000 a year to write you a Bible. It's going to take him two years. Do the math. I could do that much math. And it's going to be $100,000 for your Bible. So how many of us are going to buy a Bible for $100,000? I'm not. You're not. Probably nobody is. So even if you could read, you were one of the privileged few, you couldn't afford a Bible. They were expensive. Well, when did that get better? Well, when Gutenberg came along in 1440 and invented the printing press. And basically, to make it short, what the Model T was to automobiles, the printing press was to printed things, to to books, to the Bible. Now, Bibles can be, quote unquote, mass produced. Don't imagine anything fast. It still took a long time to produce a Bible. How long? Well, a Renaissance printing press could produce 3,600 pages per workday, 3,600, compared to a few by hand. So that's dramatically faster. And so in 1440, Gutenberg invented the printing press. Five years later, 1455, the first English Bible rolled off the press. But even so, a copy was still very expensive. So even so, most of us can't read, and most of us still can't afford a Bible. There's a third reason why nobody had a Bible. Prior to these these guys giving us English Bibles, pretty much all scholarly literature was bound up in the language of, yeah, Latin. So how many of you know Latin? That's about how many of them knew Latin, maybe a few more then, but only the scholars knew Latin, and, and all literature was locked up in Latin. So you see, to print something in English was considered like base, vulgar, like that's not an educated language. Who would want to do work in English in that language? The unlearned, furthermore, the unlearned might read it and they might discover things in the Bible without we, the churchmen, to interpret it for them and convince them of our views. So 
even where there was a Bible, even where maybe you could afford one, even where you could read, uh, the Bible was in Latin prior to these two dead guys giving us some English Bibles. All right, so that's the way it was. And then somebody came along. Imagine this. Like, this is the first guy in human history who came along and said, this was an out-of-the-box kind of guy who came along and said, wait a minute. Let's make Bibles in English. I like that guy. I like that kind of guy. Nobody was doing this. There wasn't a career path. He didn't go to the university, and they said, well, if you want to be a Bible translator, put the Bible in English. Here's the courses to take. There was no such thing. In fact, it was pretty much illegal, forbidden, looked down upon. These guys are going to suffer for it. But they came along and said, wait a minute. People need the Bible in their language. And so here are the two guys. The first one is, yeah, his name is John, John Wycliffe. That'd be a good name for your next son, John Wycliffe, and put in your last name, John Wycliffe Brown, John Wycliffe Bolin, whatever it is. He's also known as, he had a nickname, the Morning Star of the Reformation. Now, I thought, what does Morning Star really mean? So I, I looked that up because I wanted to find out. And back in those days, they thought Venus, it's a reference to Venus, they thought the planet Venus, which would sometimes really light up the sky in the mornings before the sun makes its appearance, and they called it the morning star. So it's like a pretty big light in the sky compared to other distant stars, pretty big light that lights up and tells us morning's almost here, the light is coming. That's pretty cool. So they called John Wycliffe, <clears throat> excuse me, the morning star of the Reformation, his dates were 1320 to 1384, so he lived to be 64 years old, 1320 to 1384. By the way, I have to look down for those numbers because I don't have a great memory for numbers. I always remember Debbie's birthday, and I always remember our anniversary. And beyond that, I don't have a great memory for numbers. But, but here are Wycliffe's numbers, 1320 to 1384, 64 years. And man, did this out-of-the-box guy pack a lot into those 64 years. He got the idea, I want the people to have the Bible in their tongue. So he got to work on it, and jumping ahead, it appears that he actually completed an English Bible by the year 1384, which is the year he died. So it was like his dying contribution to the planet, to the English-speaking planet, was, here's a Bible, goodbye, I'm dead. Well, why did, why did Wycliffe do this? What moved him? Well, he simply believed that the people needed the Scriptures in their tongue. He believed that people needed to study and read and preach and hear preaching from the Bible in their tongue. So he translated it into English, first time ever a Bible in the English language. Well, let's ask this question. How did the Church of Rome respond? <laughs> you want to take a guess? They weren't happy. In fact, they hated it. They hated him. They reviled him. They persecuted him. They passed laws that said the translation of Scripture into English by unlicensed laity was a crime punishable by charges of heresy. That might sound small to you in that day. If they charge you with heresy, you're pretty much doomed. You're ruined. And after he died, and by the way, he just died of a stroke. They, did, they didn't get to kill him. They probably wanted to. They never got to kill him. But he died of a stroke, 
And years later, in 1415, the Roman Church at the Council of Constance declared Wycliffe a heretic, and they banned his writings. That wasn't enough. They said, wait, we got to do more. They hated him so badly. They also decreed that all of his work should be found and burned. And get this, this is like the tip of the iceberg, or rather the coup de grace. They dug up his bodily remains and burned them and they cast the ashes into the river Swift. So what do you think? They weren't real big fans of Wycliffe and his English Bible, were they? And for what what horrible crime did he commit? He translated God's word, the Bible, into English so English people, English-speaking people, could have the Bible in their own tongue. They hated him. Not only did they hate him, they hated and persecuted his followers. Uh, They were called the Lollards, which seems to have been like a term of derision. Uh, I think it's onomatopoetic. It was like to imitate the way they spoke in their vulgar tongue, which to their learned ears sounded like lol, 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 lol. Those Lollards, those uneducated People seem to come to have come from a Dutch word that meant to mutter, to mumble. Those mutterers, those mumblers, la la la. So they were called lollards, and they persecuted them. Rome established the death penalty for anyone found in the unlicensed possession of scripture in English. Hmm, sounds like something that might happen in 2022 in America. <laughs> Just wait a few more years. Maybe we'll be there. Would you stand? Would you stand with your Bible? Go ahead and burn me at stake if you want. This is God's word. So that's what it was like for Wycliffe's followers. Aren't you glad you didn't live then and they'd kill you for having an English Bible? But the Lollards did have English Bibles. They did have Wycliffe Bibles. And in our day, looking back, we are fondly affectionate of those Lollards. They are our Proto-Protestant forebears. They were people who got serious about God's word, which led them, by the way, to question, if not oppose, things like the veneration of the saints, the sacraments, the requiem masses, transubstantiation, monasticism, and the legitimacy of the, the whole legitimacy of the papacy itself. And why did they question those things and even oppose those things? Because they were reading their Bibles to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them, writes Isaiah. So we have a lady in our church. She's the wife of one of our full-time staff guys. Her name is Taylor. And she designs a lot of stuff for us, logos and whatnot. She's designing some t-shirts for some of our greeting teams. Currently, I'm going to have her design me a t-shirt with a picture of Wycliffe on it, and then the name under that, Lollard. I'm going to be a Lollard. Well, I won't really do that because nobody would have any idea what that means, but that could start some cool conversations. So I want you to know the name John Wycliffe. Next time you open your Bible, maybe think, ooh, John Wycliffe. Next time you get to hear a sermon and the preacher has God's word in your tongue, maybe think, oh, thank you, Lord for raising up that man, John Wycliffe, the morning star of the Reformation, one of these dead guys who gave us our Bible. So that's Wycliffe. Who's next? Well, the guy that has to come next is a guy named William Tyndale. 
Again, I have to look down because his dates are 1494 to 1536. He died when he was 42. Why so young? Well, what do you think? Because they killed him. They killed him dead, as some people say. So Tyndale was an English scholar who became a leading figure in the Protestant Reformation. And from 1525 to 1535, right before he died, a year before he died, he took those 10 years and translated the New Testament and parts of the Old Testament into the English tongue. And his translation became the model for a series of subsequent English transla- translations leading up to and including, have you heard of the King James Bible? Yeah, that one goes back to this man, William Tyndale. So you say, well, big deal. I mean, Wycliffe had already translated the Bible into English. So what's, what's the difference? Why is it a big deal that William Tyndale came, came along and also gave us a translation of the English Bible? Well, there were two things about Tyndale's Bible that are really unique. Two things about Tyndale's Bible that Wycliffe's Bible did not have. Here's thing number one. Tyndale's Bible was the first English Bible to be translated out of Greek and Hebrew. Remember, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. And his Bible was the first one to be translated out of the original tongues. Well, where did Wycliffe get his? He didn't have access to Greek and Hebrew. Not sure he would have even known Greek and Hebrew. I don't know about that. But he didn't have access. But what happened is by the time Tyndale comes along, There was this guy, this scholar in Europe. He was an outstanding scholar. Desiderius Erasmus was his name. And Erasmus got interested in the original manuscripts, the Greek and the Hebrew manuscripts. So he spent a lot of time and probably a good bit of money visiting monasteries and libraries and maybe rich people going all around Europe and finding and collecting and gathering all the ancient Greek and Hebrew manuscripts of the Old and New Testaments that he could find. And he brought them together so that they were now, for the first time, maybe ever, they were available to scholars in Europe. So thanks to Desiderius Erasmus, Tyndale was able to gather those, and he worked out of the Greek to make his New Testament. He worked out of the Hebrew to make his Old Testament. So there's one way that Tyndale's Bible was different then, and perhaps better to Wycliffe's. Here's a second way that it was unique. Tyndale's translation of the English Bible was the first one to be made after we had the printing press. So he was able to take advantage of the printing press and proliferate his Bible and make, quote unquote, affordable, more affordable copies, make faster copies of the English Bible. Because you remember in the 1440s, Gutenberg came along and made the Bible or made all books more affordable. They could be made more quickly. So let me summarize Tyndale. Tyndale's English translation of the Bible is totally unique in the history of English translations in that it translated out of the original Greek and Hebrew, and it was the first one then made available to the masses, quote unquote, by the printing press. His version of the Bible was really the Model T, if you will, rolling off the production line in the, in the European world. Well, what was the result? Now we have Tyndale's Bible, and it's being printed by Gutenberg Presses. What's the result? These, my friends, were amazing days for the church of Jesus Christ. Now you didn't just have 
a little morning star up there in the sky. You've got light beginning to shine, light beginning to beam around Europe. And people are reading the Bible and buying the Bible and studying the Bible and writing about the Bible and hearing the Bible preached because it's now in their tongue. Tyndale did this for us. What happened to Tyndale? I told you they killed him dead. Rome persecuted him. He had to flee merry old England. They apprehended him anyhow, and they jailed him. And I'm sorry, he had to flee, yes, merry old England. And in 1536, captured, he was convicted of heresy and executed by strangulation, after which his body was burnt at the stake. Man, what people endured. So you and I can have a Bible, a Bible in our tongue. So Tyndale was strangled and burnt, but his translation of the Bible became the basis for many subsequent English translations, most notably, as I already animated, the venerable King James Bible of 1611. By the way, a little side note on the KJV, the King James Bible. When I was first drawn to Christ back in 1971. The pastor, who was my pastor, the church I went to, that's the Bible we used. I loved my pastor so much. I wanted the exact edition, the same brown leather cover, everything, exactly what he had. Everything on the page would be where his page was. And I found that, and it was expensive because it was good quality leather, and I bought it. I looked for it the other day on my shelves, and it wasn't there. Ah, what happened to my original? His name was Pastor Bose. What happened to my Pastor Bose King James Bible? It's gone. But I still have great respect for, great love for, great veneration for the KJV. It's just a little hard to understand sometimes, a little hard to read sometimes, and I'm a reader. So anyway, so there we are. We talked about what it was like before we had English Bibles, and we talked about these two great men whom God raised up, one of them martyred, the other one just died of a stroke, John Wycliffe and William Tyndale. Now, again, why are we talking about this? What do I want to say to you all about it? Why did I take your time for this? Here we go. A couple concluding words. One, dear friends, you have an English Bible. You probably have five English Bibles. You probably have the New King James and an NIV and an ESV and a, I don't know, whatever other else, V. People went to jail for you to have that. People were burned for you to have that. People gave their lives for you to have that. How about reading it? <laughs> How about having a daily Bible reading plan? Mine is certain number of pages in the Old Testament before I'm allowed to stop, certain number of pages, chapters in the New Testament before I'm allowed to stop, and then some prayer time. And often in there, I also say, Ian, I want to hear some Psalms today for my soul, and I'll go and read some Psalms. How about a daily Bible plan? People died so you could have your Bible. Here's a second point in closing. First one, you have an English Bible, read it. Second one, you say, what if I'm not a reader? Well, all right, I am sympathetic to that. Not everybody's wired to read. I'd say, well, read a little, but I want to take in more of the Word. Well, we have this amazing thing now called listening. We have recordings, and you can listen to the Word. You can even do that while you drive. If you have a drive to work, you can turn on the Bible and listen to the Word of God by the way, this is interesting. Just flitted into my brain. Did you know, you know who Johnny Cash is? He's passed away now. Johnny Cash had an awesome voice. And I don't know his 
religious proclivities, but there is a version of at least the New Testament, and maybe it's the whole Bible, and Johnny Cash is the voice. Check it out. It's really good. But anyway, you can do that, and you can listen to it while you're doing other mindless things, doing the dishes, mowing the lawn, as I already mentioned, drive to work, read, and listen. That's the number two reason why I'm doing this. Here's number three reason why I'm doing this. Moms and dads, teach your kids to read, and then what is more important on the planet that they would read than God's Word? Disciple them. Make them daily readers, lifelong readers of God's Word. I'm telling you, there's no better gift you could give them than that. I'll just tell on one of my grandsons. He's 16, and before bed every night he does, I don't know, I'm just going to say 100. Probably not that. Maybe it is. 100 push-ups. And then he does, I'm just going to say, 100 sit-ups. And then he reads his Bible. And then he goes to bed. I don't know, man. If I did 100 push-ups, which would be a miracle, and 100 sit-ups, which would be a miracle, I'd be so revved up, I'd never get to sleep. But somehow it works for him. But he reads his Bible every night. I have another grandson. He's also 16, and he told me a couple months ago that he's reading through the Bible on a read-through-the-Bible-in-a-year plan. So every day he's reading Old Testament and New Testament. They're 16, both of them. I bet most of my hearers are older than 16. How are you doing with reading God's Word? Oh, it makes me a happy grandpa. Get your kids reading, parents. Every day after dinner is good for you to read with them, too, by the way. Have some family worship time. Well, okay, then. That's it for today. Dead guys who gave us our English Bibles. Now, just before I go, let me remind you that Grounded comes out twice a month. We hope you'll look for it. You can find it on all major platforms. And I hope you'll join me and share Grounded with a friend. Thanks for listening.